This is the TTL Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the TTL Podcast, where we're going to talk about a very important tech topic, which is eggnog. It is a tech topic, isn't it, Monchow? I'm, it I'm became not a tech topic. I think we put it into the tech vernacular in the early 2000s, I think. Yeah, it was about 2006 that we brought it into the XP parlance. But no, actually, seriously, we're, we're going to be just doing a fun little episode to end out the year. We will be talking about eggnog. We'll tell you a little bit about the, the drink, a bit about how it became slightly a tradition for us, mm-hmm. and just any other random topics. So, Monchow, I think we should warn them about that and then say, next year, you can come <laughs> back and we will be back on our regularly scheduled rambling talks about technical leadership. But for now, to end off the year for a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, we're just going to talk about eggnog and whatever else comes up. Absolutely. For those that stumbled onto this episode, but it's not their cup of tea. Happy holidays. And we won't be back next week, but we'll be back in the first week of the new year. And we'll see you all then. But we do extort for you to stay because I, we, I do think and we do think eggnog is a very important topic. And if it's not their cup of tea, then my eggnog is not for them because my eggnog has tea in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe we should start off there. So Andy, you are drinking a, a mason jar full of eggnog. Uh, I probably, it is inadvisable for me to finish this, but I, I, I've now poured it. So I think I have to finish it. And uh, at, at yeah. your time in the UK, this is perfect alcoholic eggnog drinking time. Yeah. Right? It's 8 PM here. So it's a good it's a good time for this. However, for you, it's noon. And I see that you don't have eggnog. I'm being let down here, Monchow. You don't have eggnog. Although I will right. give you some slack because I know that you have an entire eggnog process that I think the schedule for this show sped up and it just didn't work out. So what do you have instead? I have our house Manhattan. So this is something that Kay and I keep in our house. We keep it pre-mixed. Just add cherry. And you can't see it because you're listening through audio, of course, but it's pretty small because, as Andy said, it is noon here, and I do have other things to get done through the day. Oh, but we should mention that when we talk about eggnog, we are talking about alcoholic nog, not, yes. not the other stuff. No. I think, I think at this point, we might want to tell people the story of how eggnog became a thing for us. Mm-hmm. And we'll actually find out, because we haven't talked about this for a while. Do we remember the story the same way? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Who, who wants to start here? It I'll was start, because mine's, mine's pretty bare bones. Okay, okay. So we were working at Cardamang, and I think, I think someone in the HR department for Christmas decided to have an eggnog competition. But I'm not exactly sure. We had an eggnog competition. I don't know who kicked it off. Mm-hmm. Most people brought in store-bought eggnog. And for the mm-hmm. Americans, you know exactly what we're talking about. For the non-Americans, store-bought eggnog is something that you buy in a container. It looks like you're buying milk. But then you pour it 
and it has a disgusting, gloopy flavor and consistency. <laughs> At least that's my take on it. Yeah. And I, I also feel like it tastes chemically. Yeah, yeah. It has a very unnatural flavor. I know one person, I can't remember who, brought in vodka to, to mix into the eggnog. And that's how they made it alcoholic eggnog. <laughs> but I had recently gotten a cookbook that I still have uh, called The Williamsburg Art of Cookery. It's from Colonial Williamsburg. It's a publication from them. They're, they're a historic recreation site on the East Coast of the U.S. Hmm. And they'd collected a whole bunch of recipes. And they had an eggnog recipe. And I thought, hey, why not make real eggnog? But after I read the recipe, I thought there's no way in hell. Ooh, oh, I've sworn. Mm -hmm. There's no way. There's no way that I was going to use that full recipe because it starts out with beat well the yolks of three dozen eggs. <laughs> I was not going to beat three dozen egg yolks. I wasn't going to buy three dozen egg yolks. So I cut it down to five egg yolks. And it made about, I think it makes about a gallon. So okay. I, I actually have a gallon of eggnog sitting in my fridge right now. But that, that was it. So we, we did the competition and I don't remember which one won. There was a, a lot of eggnog drunk that day. <laughs> So you're right. We we should talk about it because I think I remember it slightly differently. In my recollection, you had purchased this book. Oh, oh! Did I instigated this? So yes, I think the genesis, not of the competition itself. For ah, uh, I don't know. The genesis of it, I don't think, of the competition itself, I don't think was necessarily you, but you had purchased this book. And for whatever reason, you decided to share with us that you had purchased this book. Andy, I don't know why you thought we would be interested. I'm just joking. <laughs> it was really interesting. I'll tell you about the other part that's interesting in a bit. <clears throat> but we saw this eggnog recipe in it. And then we said, well, we want to make this. So how can we... How can we justify this? Make an excuse to make it and justify it. And so we got everyone on board with the eggnog off. And you're right. Whenever I, I do remember the beat well three dozen eggs. And every time I think about that and every time I make eggnog, I think about Beauty and the Beast. Are you familiar with that uh, Disney cartoon? Yeah. I'm trying to think of what part you're, is, is coming to mind for you, though. So do you recall Gaston? He's the brutish oh, character. Yeah. No one... Senator, like Gaston, I can't remember what he does. That's or... right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And he has a section in that song because I can't remember that whole song either. He says, Something now about that I'm eating... grown, I eat five dozen eggs. Yes. So I'm roughly the size of a barge. Right? <laughs> um, so I think about that all the time. All right. So, but, 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 so I do think about that and I think, we wanted an excuse to make it, and we decided to have an eggnog off. The other interesting part about that is, do you remember what else we found in the book as we were looking through it? I don't even know that eggnog was the first thing that we found. There's so many things in this book. I, I don't yeah, know. What, my, what recollection, 
my recollection was one of the first things we found, either before eggnog or after, was something around potted meats, where you take these meats and you bury them in the ground for weeks on end, probably after having corned them or something. But I do recall that also being in the book. It's that that sounds very likely. I don't remember that. Let me see if I can find anything about this. Let's see. Where would that be? Where would that be? It's not in Observations Upon Soups. <laughs> could be in Of Flesh and Fish. Uh-huh. Or it could be Of Preserving and Pickling. Yeah, I think that's probably more likely. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, eggnog is in the section titled Of Health Drinking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, before I, before I continue to look for the, the potted meats thing, I will bring up a little bit more of why of health drinking is hilarious given. So you start with three dozen eggs and then two and a half pounds of sugar. Mm -hmm. And then you use one pint of French brandy. And then you need to add another half pound of sugar to the egg whites. And then to the yolks, you need two quarts of milk and two quarts of cream and one gallon of brandy. So we have... <laughs> One gallon and a pint of alcohol, that's about four liters, full, four full liters, if not a little mm -hmm. more. And then you have uh, two quarts plus two quarts of cream. So you have uh, a gallon of dairy and three dozen eggs. So I, I think one person could drink that in a night. Maybe fine. And I think I've modified the recipe slightly since then. Although it sounds like you are also using that same recipe as the base for your current tea oh, yeah. eggnog or whatnot. Yeah, so I we we must have made it a couple times because in my cooking journal, which was much more meticulously kept around that time, I have two different eggnog recipes. I have eggnog one and eggnog two, which I think must be that we tried it, mm -hmm. then decided, no, 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 that's not quite right, and then we did it differently. Mm-hmm. Eggnog 2 is not what I used this time. I used eggnog 1 because mm -hmm. eggnog 2 looks looks a bit much. It's only cream. There's no milk. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> that, knowing how my eggnog turns out, yeah, that is a bit much. But you, you have, a, you have a, a long, drawn-out process for your eggnog, don't you? I do. And... I'll tell you that that book set me on some sort of eggnog journey, which now will never end. I think probably <laughs> even more than for you, because I don't... Have you made much eggnog prior to us deciding that we were going to do this show and you wanted to make an eggnog for it? No. So in the intervening, what is it? That was about 2006. So mm -hmm. this has been, what, for 17 years? Yeah, right. So in the intervening 17 years, I think I've made it twice or three times i think you make it every year don't you i do i make it every year so i don't recall exactly how this happened so it's about 2006 that we started doing this i don't know how much i made it between 2006 and say 2009 2010 somewhere around there maybe a few times but 2009 was when i met Kay, who obviously is my wife now but we weren't married then and I can't remember when the first year was that I was invited to her family Thanksgiving. They do 
a family Thanksgiving with some of their family friends, including her godparents and whatnot. And everybody brings something. Kay ends up bringing Swedish meatballs. I think my mother-in-law ends up bringing like seafood salad. It's just an eclectic thing. And then the hosts generally will do the turkey and the mashed potatoes and whatnot. And other people will bring sides. By the way, is Thanksgiving a thing in the UK or is that too sore of a subject and people don't celebrate it? Oh, of course it's a thing. They give thanks that the US left them. No, No, it's not. It's Thanksgiving is an interesting topic because that's where differences in culinary tradition start to show up. Wow. Maybe we'll have to. I was just having a discussion today about differences in what stuffing is versus dressing versus. No, no. Versus UK English stuffing versus American stuffing. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. See, this is why we're always rambling. We learn something new all the time. But to get back on topic, what was my topic? Oh, right. So for those that don't know, in the U.S. Thanksgiving, there's a giant turkey, which might be one of the worst foul birds, foul to eat. Um, (laughs) But it is tradition. And then there's disgusting things like green bean casserole, which is often I've cut that from my menu now because I just, I couldn't, I, I couldn't take it anymore. For tradition, I didn't want to do it. Yeah, some sort of yam stuff, uh, often with weird marshmallows broiled on top. It, it's yep. a weird holiday. So we did bring sides, and the sides are generally a little bit better, like I mentioned, Swedish meatballs. But I was tasked with bringing something, and that first year, I brought eggnog. And this was my first iteration of eggnog, not even my current iteration. But based on that, I was told I would be never allowed back into Thanksgiving again without arriving with eggnog. Oh, so so you you're you're being like put under pressure to continue this. Exactly, and it's not obviously it's not just for me, right? Everyone has to bring their side. Like, hey, brings her Swedish meatballs every year. It's not like she won't be allowed in, but she'll be frowned upon. I think I would actually be stopped be at the away. gate and told to go home. And over the years, eggnog has really factored into sort of this uh, this holiday. Back when Kay's grandfather was still alive, there was a really funny scene one year where he had tried the eggnog for the first time. He lived down in San Diego, and he came up to Seattle for for the celebration. And in the house where we do the celebration, there's this easy chair. It's tufted and large and very comfortable with a footstool. And he was 80-something at the time. And you just see him there on his third glass of eggnog, reclined, smiling, (laughs) and quite asleep. (laughs) and if you have not had eggnog when i read that recipe you should be thinking that it's pretty alcoholic it is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it is very alcoholic it is it's probably just under 20 percent. i think you did the calculation once you said i I guess about 18 percent oh no not the way i make it now oh no okay so So, what's your way oh sorry sorry no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I was looking at different numbers because I did two different <laughs> calculations. Yeah, so my eggnog turns out to be just above 15%. Okay. A glass of fortified wine, perhaps. Something around yeah. that. Except yeah. it's so sweet and creamy, it just goes down. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's very difficult to stop drinking. For Thanksgiving, it ends up being a party of approximately 15 to 20... Yeah, about 15 adults generally. And we will regularly go through about a gallon and a half of eggnog. 
with that group. And that's not the only alcoholic beverage there. Wine is served. In fact, this year, there were these cocktails served that some people drank a lot of and didn't even partake in eggnog. And we went through about uh, about a gallon and a half. So. So, so what is your, what is this multiply iterated recipe now? So why don't I just give everyone my recipe? Because I don't think it's super secret. Uh, and I'll just, and then I'll tell you the technique. So it's very similar to your eggnog one recipe. In fact, that's where it started from. I think it just really has probably one additional egg yolk. So you go to six rather than five. Right. I go to six rather than five. And I usually, because of the crowd, have to make a double batch. But this ends up being about, like Andy was saying, about a gallon of eggnog here. So you take six egg yolks and you beat it with one cup of sugar. Best if you can use super fine sugar or baking sugar, just because when you cream egg yolks, it makes a difference in terms of how grainy it is. Yeah. And once you add the alcohol in, the sugar, the dissolving of the sugar doesn't it doesn't continue to dissolve in the same way. So if you can get them creamed in with super fine sugar, that's great. So six egg yolks, a cup of sugar. And then what I do is I add in a pint of brandy and a cup of rum. The important thing here is to drizzle them in slowly so it doesn't curdle the egg yolks. And we can talk about why that is about curdling, but you don't want curdles. You do end up, I do end up straining out the small bits of curdles that you get, but like the best Mm. thing to do is try not to get curdles. I've never been successful, no matter how slowly I drizzle, to not get any, but I can keep it pretty small. So a pint of brandy, a cup of rum, drizzle that in, stir it all up. And then what I do is I bottle that up and I leave it for a year. Just just the egg yolk, sugar, and alcohol. Egg yolk, sugar, and alcohol, right. I actually keep it in the back of my fridge. I've heard people keep eggnog, not necessarily this mixture, but other mixtures in their garage or whatever. I'm assuming the garage doesn't get super hot, but I keep it in the fridge for a year. And then about 24 to 48 hours before I'm serving the eggnog, I will take that mixture out, shake it up, and then strain it. I'll add one cup, one pint of cream. And what I'm using now is actually heavy whipping cream. So about 44% milk fat. Yeah. And then one pint of whole milk, which is about 4% milk fat. So your dairy ends up being somewhere around, I think, 30 some percent dairy. Is that, is that right? Sorry. 38. Let's see, 48. So we end up being no, like 48. You'd end, you'd, end, no. you'd end up being about, about 20. About 24. 20, yeah. Yeah. 24% dairy is where we end up here. So a pint of 44% cream, a pint of whole milk. I end up mixing those in. And then I take six egg whites. I beat them to soft peaks, not hard peaks. And then I end up folding that in pretty well into the eggnog mixture and then serve with a ladle and grated nutmeg on top. So that's my eggnog recipe. The aging over a year really does wonders. There's a number of different things, I think. One is I don't use fancy alcohol in my eggnogs. And so it does soften the flavors. And really, the, the flavors are quite different. It ends up being, I don't know, it's like caramelly and nutty at the same time. Mm. Um, so it's super interesting. I, I've tried non-aged and aged, and I think the aged is quite a bit better. Also, for, for those people that worry about salmonella which in eggs, which I don't think you actually should, uh, I think both in the U.S. and U.K. now, salmonella in eggs is super, super, super low, even in raw eggs. Um, yeah. 
But if you look at yeah. the research, it takes... The UK, UK does a different approach. All of Europe does a different approach. They don't wash the eggs. Oh, they don't. And they don't wash the eggs, which is actually important for keeping the salmonella out. So eggs mm. have a membrane on the outside uh. of the shell. And the washing that's done in the US, which cleans off all like feathers and all of that. Because in the UK, you buy eggs, you'll sometimes find a feather with it and like little smears on the egg and that kind of thing. But when they wash the eggs, that membrane gets washed off. The egg shell is porous, and then that's how salmonella gets in much more easily. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. But to continue the last part, if you are worried, again, I don't think you really should be. The rates are super low. Apparently, it takes approximately three weeks of sitting in alcohol in order to kill all the salmonella uh, so bacteria. Your, your one year is more than adequate. Absolutely. So that's my process. Okay. Yeah. So that's that is fairly similar to the eggnog one. Other than other than actually the, the two parts that are really different. One is the straining. That wasn't mm -hmm. something we did, and I that sounds like a really good idea because mm -hmm. it, it can get a little grainy if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. And the other one is the one year. I think mm -hmm. I think I went for on this one. It was maybe a week or a few days. The one I have now, I I let age for about three weeks. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people I've read age their eggnog with dairy for a year or three months or however long they age it. I'm a little bit. So we we did the calculations, right? It's about fifteen and a half percent ABV with the dairy wine Which kills stores a lot of stuff but mm. yeah and i would imagine that also the taste sort of changes you might imagine with the alcohol interacting with like the dairy proteins you probably get a different taste and texture over mm -hmm. a year with your dairy in it i'm just not brave enough to try that without the dairy with the egg mixture it ends up being about 32 percent abv so i feel pretty confident in that about yeah. a 64 proof mixture being fairly safe from contamination. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the one you'll be serving next year because you've already served the one for this year. Correct, yes. I, this year, tried out, I decided I wanted to do something a little different and I thought, what would be fun with eggnog? And I, well, eggnog is a lot of milk and I like making chai. Mm -hmm. So... Chai is a lot of milk. Well, milk is a very important component in making chai taste right, the spiced tea. So I decided to try out putting some ginger, cinnamon, clove, star anise, and cardamom, and oh, and black peppercorns, into my rum and let that sit for a few weeks. And then use that rum. So I do about half rum, half brandy, or one, one third, two third, somewhere around there, rum and brandy. And so my rum was spiced, and it was a dark spiced rum. Well, dark rum that I spiced. <laughs> <laughs> and then that, then I let sit for a couple weeks with the, with the egg yolks and the sugar. And then I made the milk... Not the cream, just the milk, because I didn't want the cream to start separating. I made mm -hmm. a tea. So I heated it up. Essentially, I, I, I scalded the milk with tea inside it, in, in it. So 
changed color a little bit. And then you got the scalding effect, which I can't... I, I was looking in Harold McGee's on cooking to figure out what does scalding exactly do to, me, to, to milk. Mm-hmm. A- and he didn't have anything about what scalding does to milk. Hmm. I was like, this is, a, this is a thing called for in so many recipes, and he does not cover what does scalding do to milk. So I have Did no idea imagine? what it does to milk. Interesting. <laughs> I scalded the milk with the tea in it. And then I did the whole mixing it all together. And, oh, and then I serve it with a little grating of nutmeg on top. And what I've ended up with is there's just this subtle cinnamon and cardamom flavor. It gets overpowered by all of the other things going on. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not sure it was really worth it. It's, it's a fun thing to do, but I was hoping something would have a little bit more of the, the spice flavor going. So let me rewind here. So you definitely infused your alcohol with that flavoring. Mm-hmm. Then you did the scalded milk, and then when hot, you mixed your uh, alcohol into the milk? No, I let the milk cool. You let the milk cool, and then you mixed your alcohol into the milk. So Yeah. Interesting. Um, oh, and I forgot to say that the rum also had uh, fresh ginger cr- bruised and then shoved into the bottle as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm curious yeah. whether adding more of these spices into the milk. Mm. I've actually looked up scalded milk here just while we were talking. And it says it's typically scalded to increase temperature, change consistency because of denaturing of protein. So I don't actually know if you have to do that. Yeah. I, I know it changes something about the milk because you're, you're basically you're hitting the pasteurization temperature. Mm-hmm. But most of the dairy, at least in the U.S., is already it's pasteurized. pasteurized and so maybe that's what it. Since the, the since the milk is already pasteurized, it doesn't do much to it anymore. Yeah, I would imagine that's probably true. Mm. I mean, there could again, there could be something with like because ultra pasteurization is like a high temperature for two seconds, right? Yeah. So maybe holding it at temp does something else to the proteins, but um, yeah, the, yeah the, there's imagine. the different pasteurization methods, and he did talk about those. There's the mm-hmm. low temperature, longer time pasteurization. Then there's the ultra high temperature pasteurization, which, as you said, you get it up there just a few seconds and then you bring it back down. Well, and I would say that for my eggnog recipe, I don't. I think you could probably do it without alcohol. I think you might have to change some of the ratios. But for yours, I would definitely not do it without alcohol because I think that a lot of the spices that you're using, which I'm not using, have alcohol-soluble flavors and oils and stuff. So I think it's super important to use alcohol in yours. Otherwise, you just get, I guess, chai, right? <laughs> well, I think I think one of the things I could do is lower the alcohol. Because the he- I think it's the heat of the alcohol is taking over the spice flavor. Interesting. With the lower alcohol, I'd still I'd get those alcohol-soluble flavors and all of that. Mm-hmm. Still get a little bit of the kick. But if I can get it to the point where the heat is just in the background, mm-hmm. then, the, then the spices might come through. And what are you using like fancy, or you, you said you were using a dark rum, right? So it's aged. A, it's a Captain Morgan's dark rum. That's yeah. probably a food coloring, I, I would guess. Very likely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might, you might try like an aged rum, which has had some of the edge taken off through mm. you know, barrel aging or whatnot. Yeah. That might be something to try. But... Is it enjoyable? You have a mason jar of it right there. It is. I had some last night because I figured I can't get on here tonight and uh-huh. 
do this entire show and have never tasted it before because it could have been it could have been poison, mm-hmm. and I might have had to throw it away and make another batch. Mm-hmm. So no, it is good enough to have it multiple nights in a row. My sleep does not appreciate this. <laughs> I don't sleep well when I have alcohol, so. So I, I have drinking a, I drinking have a, almost a pint of, of eggnog is not going to do well, go well. Well, and me. I have a buddy that now only drinks in the morning because his sleep, if he drinks past noon, his sleep is bad with alcohol. And I'm like, why bother at all? When do you drink in the morning? I, <laughs> I don't even know how that works. So do you still do the egg white thing where you beat the egg whites and fold them in at the end? Or Yeah, I did do that. Okay. And, I, and the, a lot of the recipes called for beat them until they're stiff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I always took as stiff peaks. Mm-hmm. You, you you mentioned until soft peaks. And so I tried that this time. And yeah, I, it doesn't seem to make a huge difference. I think I, mm-hmm. I think I went slightly past the, the soft peaks, though. It's so hard to hit that. <laughs> it, it really is. And the, the trick I've learned, I, I don't know, did you, do them, did you do them by hand or by machine? I did them by machine. Sorry, I think I have a little bit of spice in my tooth. <laughs> I did them by machine because, to go off on another random topic, I had used my, my hand whisk. I was in the mm-hmm. wood shop because I was mixing up milk paint with it. <laughs> my hand whisk was in my wood shop. That is something I don't think I'll hear for another 20 years, Andy. Yeah, so so yesterday when I when I was putting the egg whites in, I I was spending most of the day going back and forth to the wood shop that I have as I was painting the tool chest I've been making, which if anyone follows me on LinkedIn, you would have seen a picture last week or what would have this been? The week of the 11th, 11th of December. There was a picture that I posted, something about taking small steps. And there was a picture of dovetails. That was the toolbox that I was making. And so yesterday I was finishing it up. The day before I had put the dovetails together and I, I, I cut the feet and so the dove, sorry, I should explain what this is. I'm making a tool chest. <laughs> the tool chest body itself is nailed together. It's, it's rebated and nailed. The bottom is shiplapped and nailed on. The top is a panel construction. So it's a groove inside the sides and the panel sits in there. It floats in there so that it can move. Then it needed feet to hold it off the ground. And to do that, I made like a little skirt that goes around the whole base. Mm-hmm. And the four pieces of the skirt are dovetailed together and uh, then cut so that they have like a little bit more levity to them, a little lightness. So they adjust mm-hmm. our feet rather than just like this solid monolith. <laughs> uh, and yesterday, I finally got it to the point where I could paint it. To paint it, I decided... Because I never want to make anything simple. I want to do something different every single time. So to paint it, I decided I want to try using milk paint. It's a traditional paint. And I guess this kind of sticks on the milk theme that we're having mm. for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so milk paint is an, it's a paint that's been used for millennia. I've, I've heard people say that it goes all the way back to like ancient Egyptians. It's you basically you make cheese you make ricotta or paneer if you've ever made those so Mm -hmm. both of those are milk heated up and then you add an acid ricotta it's generally lemon Mm -hmm. in uh, paneer it's generally vinegar and that curdles the milk 
So you, you strain that off, and then to that you start adding, I think it was lime. You add a little lime, and you mix that together, and then you add some water, and you do some other stuff. And it's just a couple of things, like there's some clay or something I think that goes in. And then pigment. And then that's the paint. Okay. So uh, you can buy it now as powder, and mm -hmm. you mix it with water. And it's the powder is somewhat hydroscopic. Okay. So it doesn't like mixing. Hydrophobic? Mm -hmm. Hydro... Hydrophobic doesn't like, doesn't like mixing with water, yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't like mixing with water, so it takes a bit. So I used my whisk. So I didn't have my whisk to whisk my egg whites by hand because I was painting a tool chest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you didn't have your hand whisk. Um, but tip for next time, one good way to make sure that you hit your peaks is I, I used to be pretty militant about beating by hand because I have this like, what I call it, like terrible streak in me where I have to do things traditionally or whatnot. Masochistic, is that what they call it, sort of? I think you should try woodworking. But but I, I'm trying to wean myself off of a lot of these. And so generally what I do now is start with machine mm -hmm. and then finish by hand. And that, that, that ends up working pretty well. But I think it, the soft peaks are important. Over the years, I found that if I end up not getting soft peaks, I end up with this raft of egg white foam that floats on top of the eggnog. Oh, um, you don't get that with the soft peaks. No, you don't. You have to fold them in pretty well, but then you don't get that with the soft peaks. You might get a small one, but no, it looks like it's like bubbles, tiny bubbles within the eggnog all the way down. Um, which oh, is really that's nice. Yeah, that's that's what I want. Because right now, like when I poured my eggnog tonight. The first thing I had to do was with the ladle, mix it and mix it and mix it and mix it to try to get that back in. And of course, mm -hmm. unless I was willing to stand there for about 10 minutes, it, right. it wasn't all going to go in. Right. And it's it's tricky. You'll have to figure out what the right whipped egg white, or what would you call it, thickness or whatever is. You need you should get it there where once you fold. So when you first dump it in, obviously, it's going to float. But once you end up folding it in, it should be not completely homogenized, but fairly homogenized. Um, I've actually tried different other things. So if you look online, there's some sort of single serving eggnog recipes. And one year, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, I'm pretty sure this was during COVID, made me send them eggnog mix down because they couldn't come up for Thanksgiving. <laughs> this is what I have to deal with now with this eggnog. <laughs> Although if they're listening to be fair to them, they didn't, they didn't come up this year and they didn't make me send it down this year. So, but that one year they were like, send it down. So I set the, I'm pretty sure I just sent the mix down to them without the dairy. Right. And I said, okay, you mix the dairy in at the end. But since I sent it down in smaller quantities, I didn't really know like how many egg whites or whatever. So I basically said, Hey, look, keep this in your fridge. When you want to take it out, put this amount in a cocktail shaker or Put an egg white in a cocktail shaker, shake it up, and then put the eggnog mix in, and then shake it up. Uh, yeah, and a lot be a of like, way. and a lot of single serving eggnog recipes do that. Um, if you do, it's not bad, but it's not the same. Uh, you yeah. don't get the same frothiness. Um, yeah, the you, well, you not won't quite right. unless you're going to be standing there with your cocktail shaker for about twenty minutes. I don't mm -hmm. think you're going to get anywhere close to soft peaks <laughs> with, with right. your egg. 
Right. And so even though you can get frothiness on a cocktail shaker for co certain cocktails or whatever, it it'll do okay with the eggnog. But your best bet is really to try to beat them to, to soft peaks or right around there. Well, we've been going for a little while on this now. I'm thinking that we should let people go and have their Christmas and their New Year or whatever <laughs> they're doing when, when they listen to this show. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I agree. So, so is there is there any last tip that we'd we'd leave any, anyone with? So, one last tip on the eggnog front that I'll leave someone with: store bought eggnog is generally terrible, at least in the U.S. I don't know if they even have this in the U.K. Do no, they? they don't. Oh, we didn't even touch on that. No, this is not really known over here at all. Interesting. So, I should even though eggnog started it. with like 13th century monks or whatever. Which so, obviously we're not here. Well, I I've done a little bit of looking into this, and from what I found and what I heard, people aren't exactly sure where eggnog came from. Oh, so Max Miller, Tasting History, did an episode two years ago on eggnog, mm -hmm. and he always does cook something or make a drink and then talk about the history of it. So he talked about the history of eggnog, mm -hmm. and the answer is. Uh, it first showed up 17th century, 1700s? No, 1700s, not 17th century. Uh, United States. Well, mm -hmm. colonies. Mm -hmm. As just a word. It didn't, no one knows where the words came from. The best, the best idea of what Nog is, according to him, is that Nog was dialect in, I think it was Norwich mm. of the UK, for, for a beer. So egg beer. That doesn't really make much sense. So we, we don't really know where it came from. We just know that it, it really does show up in the U.S. and in, in the colonies, but it never really showed up elsewhere. There are cooked eggnogs or cooked alcoholic custards, I guess it would mm -hmm. be. Because, oh, if anyone is thinking, what the hell, why are you drinking this? This is just an uncooked custard with a lot of alcohol in it. Yes. So you can also cook it. You can you can you can make more of a creme anglaise, which in the UK is just called, just called custard. <laughs> Always, I still find that just weird. Custard to me is a solid thing, not a a flowy thing. <laughs> but you could make creme anglaise and add a bunch of alcohol, mm -hmm. which essentially is well. It's, this is not cooked, but right. Yeah, it's not cooked. If if you did the cooking, yeah. So yeah, no one, as far as I know, no one really knows where this came from. It just showed up. Yeah. And I've heard the same thing. I've heard that Nog comes from like grog or like a strong beer. So you've heard that or. So egg grog, he, he addresses that one. Mm -hmm. It didn't show up until uh, like 1950 as an explanation. Oh, interesting. So it, it's pretty unlikely to, and, and there's nothing, there's no point in time where anyone wrote egg grog. Mm-hmm. Which that makes kind sense. of blows it out of the water as a possibility. Makes sense. Yeah, what I've heard is that it comes from a medieval Britain thing called posset. P -O -S -S -E -T. Yep, posset. Yep. Yep. Possets around here sometimes. It's a, okay. It's okay. a very fancy thing. Okay. Um, and then one theory that I read was that the U.S. just had a lot of cows and chickens and farms and farmland. And so, <laughs> so with an excess know. of cream, what are you going right. to do with it? Right. You're going to get methods, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, 
Okay, but, uh, oh, and going back to your creme anglaise thing, I think you told me that there is a Dutch drink, which is essentially a cooked cream eggnog type thing, right? Aquavat, or however right. it's pronounced. Or Advocat. Yeah, it's definitely cooked. So I, I would call it a cooked eggnog. And for cooked eggnogs, I think because of uh, folks who know when you cook custard, when you make creme anglaise, it gets a little bit thicker. And you mm -hmm. get the different mouthfeel. That is a way to avoid doing the egg white thing. But I don't think it's quite the same. It's a little bit more... It's more cloying. I don't want to... I was going to use the word cloying, but yeah. It coats the <laughs> You were trying not more, to. I say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The mouth feels a little different. It's a little heavier on the tongue, I would say. Do, do you have an eggnog tip or maybe a non-eggnog tip? I think my non-eggnog tip is experiment with milk paint mm. it's it's cool it's it's interesting so uh i i put a, a base color of red on my toolbox and then i did a color of black over the top and so as it gets dings and scuffs and wear uh, a little bit of red will show through and yeah now i'm putting boiled linseed over it to give it a bit of a sheen because it's a very matte look in fact it was so matte that the pictures of my toolbox it looked like a black hole <laughs> is there a specific time when you would say use milk paint because it looks different or like its properties are different like would you paint your the interior of a house with it for example i probably wouldn't see the interior of the house like furniture it's pretty it's pretty standard for furniture in fact a lot of the, the distressed look furniture they're using an egg no, not an egg they're using a milk paint gotcha they're using an eggnog paint <laughs> you got egg on the mind man but you don't have to do it in that distressed look. You you can gotcha. just paint it on, use a paste wax, and get a nice matte, but sl slightly sheen look. And for eggnog, I would say just do it. Mm -hmm. Just just find an, a recipe online. Don't be afraid of it. Just give it a try and go for it. Yeah. In the U.S., again, I'll just mention, it is a completely different drink, in my experience, than store-bought. So even if you hate store-bought eggnog and would never drink it like me, do it, as Andy said. I think you'll be pleasantly <laughs> surprised. All right. At this point, I think we need to wrap it up. We went 10 minutes past the point where I said, let's try to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> so I wish everyone a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and we will see you again in January. Until next time. Be kind and stay curious. Mm -hmm.